What is good, Divine Dolls and Divine Dudes? You're already going to see the title. I'm going to keep the same title that is um, coming from the book, Why Men Seldom Succeed Before 40. I can tell you this is going to be a long uh, podcast, but it's definitely absolutely going to be worth your while. It looks like as I'm flipping through it, it might be um, part one, part two. Um, I'm going to try not to interject as much as I normally did when I was reading from um, The Science of Getting Rich by Dr. Wallace Waddles. Um, But I do want to preface it before we get into it. And I'm going to be right there alongside with you learning this content. But I, I think what's fascinating to me about this is also if I knew this information um, earlier in life, I would probably fine-tune who I choose to date a little bit better. I'm not pretending I have the formula for it, but um, I right before I came across this, I um, had heard like last week or two weeks ago that men really become, um, I think, at their peak in terms of their um, emotional intelligence and maturity at the age of freaking 45, y'all, right? Um, uh, women do mature earlier, but I think that I probably would have started dating a little bit upwards of 40, 45, um, not necessarily coming out of high school. I think definitely around 30, you know, 29, 30 ish. And, um, also I think that this is interesting too, because it gives you, um, indicators, right? I think it's going to give you indicators. Like if someone is quote unquote successful be- before the age of 40, you're going to know what the benchmark looks like or, or key indicators of what success looks like. And so then you kind of know you're on the right track and that would be a healthier um, definition of dating for potential. I know that Mina talks about um Mina from Universe Guru and uh, what's the other one? Million Dollar Babe. She talks about to a certain degree she dated for potential, but again, she had to nuance it. And I think that this is where these types of conversations come in. What dating, when we think, when the average person thinks dating for potential, we think dating somebody out of high school who wants to be a football player, who wants to be a doctor, who wants to be a lawyer. And it can even mean being in college with them at the same time. And I've even heard stories of where women would be dating a guy that was, you know, in school to be a uh, a lawyer. And fast forward 10 years later, they're married, they have kids, and he never finished his degree. And now she's the one working and he's at home on, on the couch and never even completed his degree, never got a practice, never really went on to push himself. So what does what is a healthy uh person that you can look at and say okay this person it has potential like how Mina is talking about it and so i think that if you see somebody being successful for especially for men before the age of 40 what do they look like what do they move like so those are my thoughts um stay tuned uh I think it's going to be definitely worth it. I will try to keep my commentary down for the rest, but let's get into it, y'all. All right. Okay, kids, Divine Dolls, Divine Dudes. You're going to see in the title, 
here's just a little bit more of a story between what happened. I was at my parents' house, and in their living room, they had this book. And um, so I was eating in the living room, and I saw something that said Prosperity Bible. And I'm like, what? So I started leaning over to look at it, and I took a closer look, and it says... The Prosperity Bible, and on the side, it says the greatest writings of all time on the secrets to wealth and prosperity. So automatically got my information and then got my 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 attention. And then on the sides, it has all these authors, Napoleon Hill, Benjamin Franklin, James Allen, Wallace D. Waddles. Y'all already know he's one of my favorite authors. Ernest Holmes, Florence Scovel Shin. She's another one of my favorite authors. You've seen me do several reviews on her books. And it says, and others. So that got my interest. So I uh, figured out it's a compilation. It, it looks like as big as a Bible. But it's a compilation of all of the greats, right? It's basically all of the disciples of prosperity is the best way that the uh, that came to my mind. There's an Aladdin and company. So who knows? I probably will share more from you. Ooh, and a, there's some good highlights. Somebody highlighted this. So, and somebody is a little bit further they uh they did a mm they put a little bookmark huh on Dr. Wallace Waddles that's interesting so um the first part that came up in the book as I was flipping through it is um Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill so I was just kind of flipping through it and um this subtitle stuck out to me why men seldom succeed before 40. Um, and just for fun, if you guys ever want to check this out too, let me go back a little bit. It was really fun because this is actually under chapter 11, the mystery of sex transmutation, the 10th step toward riches, y'all. Talks about the desire for sex expression, the burning desire for fame, power, financial money, friendship between either those of the same sex or those of the opposite sex. What? You mean to tell me that has to do with um <laughs> transmutation of sex? What? Talks a little bit here about the handshake, right? The voice, posture, vibrations of thought, body adornment. People who are highly sexed are usually very careful about their personal appearance. They usually select clothing of a style becoming to their personal personality physique. Mm, I don't know. I have oof, y'all. If you don't hear from me, I'm going to stay in this. I already can tell. Mmm, that was delicious. And did I just lose my spot when I know that time is of the essence here? Hold on. Because <laughs> I know that it's a subtitle. So let me go back a little bit. I know y'all still love me. Here we go. Yeah, so that was part of chapter 11. So let's get into it. It says... He says, uh, and I'm going to try to keep my commentary low because I think you're going to already see this is going to be an, about a good hour or so. So he says, I discovered from the analysis of over 25,000 people that men who succeed in an outstanding way seldom do so before the age of 40. And more often they do not strike their real pace until they are well beyond the age of 50. This fact was so astounding that it prompted me to go into the study of its cause more carefully. 
carrying the investigation over a period of time of more than 12 years. And I love this too, because one of the things I really want to stress is I, it's a peppy for me when men say, oh, I'm not like that one or whatever, whatever, what have you. 25,000 is a really great sample, right? This is not something he pulled out of his butt type of a thing. He really has done the the research analysis of 25,000 people. And in that, he noticed that the men succeed in the, in the most outstanding way, um, uh, well, I guess it would be after the age of 40. So it says, this study disclosed the fact that the major reason why the majority of men who succeed do not begin to do so um, before the age of 40 to 50 is their tendency to dis- dissipate their energies throughout overindulgence in physical expression of the emotion of sex. Right? So um, he said that most of them do not succeed because they dissipate their energies towards the overindulgence in physical expression of the emotion of sex. And we see that a lot. We do talk about how a lot of the men of today, the modern man, is just driven by his sexual urges more so than anything. And I think in the black community, you see how we have a $50 billion a year deficit, but that is the most sexually driven um, group of men and they talk a lot about this your sexual market value, right? Not stock market value, you know, um, or in the in the traditional sense, they talk a lot about sexual market value of women. It says the majority of men never, and he put that in italics, never learn that the urge of sex has other possibilities which far transcend an importance, which is that of mere physical expression. Ooh. That's a whole word right there. The majority of those who make this discovery do so, and he put, after having wasted many years at a period when the sex energy is at its height, prior to the age of 45 to 50. Okay, so he went up a little bit there on that line, 45 to 50. This usually is followed by noteworthy achievement. So once they make that discovery um, and they you know, are able to transcend that, then that's where you start to see the noteworthy achievement. It says the lives of many men up to and sometimes well past the age of 40 reflect a continued dissipation of energies, which could have been more profitably turned into better channels. Their finer and more powerful emotions are sown widely, wildly to the four winds. Out of this habit of the male grew the term sowing his wild oats. The desire for sexual expression is by far the strongest and most compelling of all human emotions. And for this very reason, this desire, when harnessed and transmuted into action, I love that language, other than that of physical expression, may raise one to the status of a genius. And so he's talking to something, I I don't know if I I mentioned it as I was flipping through. Um, It was talking about... um, sex transmutation and then one of the subtitles in there had to do with um sex and and um being the state of a genius right so it says one of the world's most 
able businessman frankly admitted that his attractive secretary was responsible for most of the plans he created. He admitted that her presence lifted him to heights of creative imagination, such as he would experience under no other stimulus. And I've said this time and time again, um, if you want to rewind it back 30 seconds or so, especially for my women, I think that women really underestimate the power of being the muse, right? I think men also underestimate the power of having a muse, right? But he just talked a little bit about that, right? So it says one of the most uh, successful men in America owes most of his success to the influence of a very charming young woman who has served as his source of inspiration for more than 12 years. Everyone knows this man of whom we speak, um, to whom this reference is made, but not everyone knows the real source of his achievements, right? So kind of just piggybacking off that last sentence. He didn't mention a name, but somebody came to your mind when you thought of that. When he said, one of the most successful men in America owes most of his success to the influence of a very charming young woman, you know, so it's natural for us to be attracted to each other, right? And so it's also giving you, I think, a, a code for divine feminine, the importance of, of charm, right? So it says, history is not lacking in examples of men who attained to the social, to the stat- status of genii. Ooh, that's the first time I've seen that, but that's, you know, genius genii, as it is as the result of the use of artificial mind stimulants in the form of alcohol and narcotics. Edgar Allan Poe wrote the, um, and I guess it would be the poem Raven, while under the influence of liquor, <laughs> dreaming dreams that mortals never dare to dream before. James Whitcomb Riley did his best writing while under the influence of alcohol. Perhaps it was thus he saw the ordered intermingling of the real and the dream, the mill above the river and the mist above the stream. Robert Burns wrote best when intoxicated for Auld Lang Syne, my dear will take a cup of kindness yet for Auld Lang Syne. Probably takes you back to high school, uh, literature, right? (laughs) But it says, but let it be remembered that many such men have destroyed themselves in the end. Nature has prepared her own potions with which men may safely stimulate their minds so they vibrate on a plane that enables them to tune in to fine and rare thoughts which come from no one, no man knows where. So I get it because we were talking a little bit about how sex plays a role, that attraction, and um, he was saying here the artificial mind stimulants, um, such as alcohol and our narcotics. And then he gave three examples of um, how people used artificial mind stimulants as opposed to, to sex. Right. Um, but nonetheless, we it, it's a different form of, of addiction. Right. So it says no satisfactory substitute for nature's stimulants has ever been found. It is a well-known fact to psychologists that there is a very close relationship between sex desires and spiritual urges. Now, that's funny because just last night I did a recording. I want to delve a little bit more. More There you know, is a school of thought that sex is not spiritual, but here we're hearing it from Napoleon Hill. It says, 
Um, it is a fact well known to psychologists that there's a very close relationship between sex desires and spiritual urges, a fact which accounts for the peculiar behavior of people who participate in the orgies known as religious rivals, revivals, common among the primitive types. Very interesting. Religious talking about uh, man-made constructs, right? Mm, This is some deep stuff, y'all. He says, the world is ruled and the destiny of civilization is established by the human emotions. Mm. People are influenced in their actions not by reason so much as by feelings. Hmm. The creative faculty of the mind is set into action entirely by emotions and not by cold reason. The most powerful of all human emotions is that of sex. There are other mind stimulants, some of which have been listed, but none of them, nor all of them combined, can equal mm -mm -mm, the driving power of sex. Listen. (laughs) It says a mind stimulant is an influence which will either temporarily or permanently increase the vibrations of thought. And um, vibrations of thought keeps coming up a lot. Dr. Wallace Waddles talks about it a lot. I do believe, um, uh, not Godfrey, uh, his name is coming to mind. It'll come to me later. And um, Chauvel Shin, Florence Chauvel, talks about vibration of thoughts. I think there's actually a whole entire book called Vibration of Thoughts, right? So it says the 10 major stimulants described are those most commonly restored to, resorted to. Um, Though these sources may, though these sources, no, (laughs) through these sources, one may commune with infinite intelligence. Oh yeah, that's definitely, mm. so those of you who kind of engage with this kind of language, you understand Infinite intelligence, okay? I refer to it as um, divine source too. So through these sources, one may commune with infinite intelligence or will or enter at will the storehouse of the subconscious mind, either one's own or that of another person, a procedure which is all there is of genius. So I think we're missing out a little bit because we didn't read that chapter that was right before this one about sex transmutation and the genius. So we'll just take it for where we're at right now. It says a a teacher who has trained and directed the efforts of more than 30,000 salespeople made the outstanding astounding discovery that highly sexed men are the most efficient salesmen. Now that's funny. I'm going to be looking at that. Mm, That's interesting. The explanation is that the factor of personality known as personal magnetism is nothing more nor less than sex energy. Highly sexed people always have a plentiful supply of magnetism. Through cultivation and understanding, this vital force may be drawn upon and used to great advantage in the relationship between people. And I love this because I think that one thing is I I don't I <laughs> like sex, right? But I think that this what he said right now is so deep. He said through cultivation 
and understanding this vital source may be drawn upon and used to take advantage in the relationship between people. I think sometimes we don't understand how to harness it and how to, you know, the word he uses here is cultivated, but it serves a purpose. If we weren't intended to have sex, then we wouldn't have those desires. If we weren't made to taste or to see or to hear or to feel certain things, we wouldn't have those senses. But I think that we kind of deviated or don't understand its power. Um, and that's why you even have things like, for example, the best thing that's coming to mind is like semen retention or or that type of thing. How do you use that energy to amplify? How do you use that drive you know, and even that magnetism, it talked earlier in this chapter about him having an attractive secretary. It didn't say that she was, um, he was sexually involved with her, but it's just the idea of someone charming and, and attractive or amuse, you know, um, or even a crush. Could we say like, like how I have a man crush? Like, you know, could we say that that, that counts for something, you know, how do we use that energy? Oh, I love this. It says, this energy may be communicated to others through the following media, right? So here he's talking about how we can cultivate and understand this force, how we can use it um, to our advantage in relationships between people. Let's go. There's five. The handshake, the touch of the hand indicates instantly the presence of magnetism or the lack of it. <laughs> the tone of voice, magnetism or sex energy is the factor with which the voice may be colored or made musical and charming, right? Oh my gosh, this makes so much sense, you guys. I'm even thinking about the book, The Power of Seduction um, by uh, Robert Greene. It's giving me that energy, right? And I also think about... Well, I think one of the things I enjoyed this go around is when I'm talking about my 1.5 crushes is when they're around, like I am, my voice is really charming. Like it definitely hits some feminine soft peaks and some whispers. And then you got to like lean in to hear what I'm saying and stuff and the hand gestures and everything too. Um, but versus if I'm just talking to uh, another woman or somebody that I really don't want to talk to, or just I'm talking to it on a regular how the tone of voice can change, right? But all of those things play a role in magnetism. Posture and carriage of the body. Highly sex people move more brisk, briskly and with grace and ease. So it doesn't even necessarily mean you have to move that quick, but you can move with grace and ease. I'm going to pay attention to that too, because I mean, mm, I don't know. The vibration of thought. So it says highly sexed people Mix the emotion of sex with their thoughts, and many do so at will, and in that way may influence those around them. <laughs> that is wild, y'all. Oh my gosh. And then we had read earlier body adornment, which is people who are highly sexed are usually very careful about their personal appearance. They usually select clothing or of a style becoming to their personality, physique, and comp complexion. And I, again, I don't think that you should take away from any of this that it's negative or bad. Pay attention to how you present, how you want to present, and that it can be used. You can harness this energy to great advantage in the relationship between people. Excuse me. I just drank some water and... I had my breakfast earlier, so, and I'm taking on a lot of ears, so, hence this. Okay, let's go. 
It says when employing salesmen, the more capable sales manager looks for the quality of a personal magnetism as the first requirement of a salesman. This is so freaking deep, you guys. This is why reading is so important. People who lack sex drive will never become enthusiastic nor inspire others with enthusiasm. And enthusiasm is one of the most important prerequisites in salesmanship, no matter what one is selling. Damn, this is freaking deep, you guys. Okay, it says the public speaker, orator, preacher, lawyer, or salesperson who is lacking in sex energy is a flop as far as being able to influence others is concerned. Coupled with this, the fact that most people can be influenced only through an appeal to their emotions, and you will understand the importance of sex energy as a part of the salesperson's, salesman's native ability. Oh my gosh, I am trying to think how I'm going to title this and make sure everybody gets what they need. But we haven't done an entrepreneurial oracle reading, but here it is. If you're kind of just deep searching for deeper meaning, this can even help you in your entrepreneurial endeavors, right? It says, um, master salesmen attain the status of mastery in selling because they either consciously or unconsciously transmute the energy you guys listen he put this in italics right transmute the energy of sex into sales enthusiasm so that's what he means when he said earlier through cultivation and understanding this vital source may be drawn upon and used to great advantage so this is him using um another word another uh phrase to kind of get the point across and the word that we're familiar with in the in the spiritual world or here on the divine feminine divine masculine page is transmuting energy right this is very practical of what that means to cultivate and understand to harness whether you consciously or unconsciously transmute convert that energy of sex into sales enthusiasm in this statement many in this statement, sorry, you guys, and some of it was throwing me off too. Is is the it's like old age English, but nonetheless, in this statement may be found a very practical suggestion as to the actual meaning of sex transmutation. The salesperson who knows how to take his mind off of the subject of sex and direct it in the sales effort with as much enthusiasm and determination as he would apply to its original purpose has acquired the art of sex transmutation Damn, that's dope that is deep i'm thinking of crush number 0.5 or you know and um because he is in a setting where th- it, this makes so much sense and it also explains why i was attracted to the the last two guys the way I was too because um it kind of explains so whoa this is deep okay I get it hmm um I think that what he's talking about here is kind of like a like a little bit of a it's playful it's flirtatious you don't want to get yourself in trouble in terms of um sexual harassment on the workplace but it kind of speaks to a little bit of playfulness and you don't want to cross boundaries i'm not not in any means telling you to 
um, resort to inappropriate sexual flirtation on the job. But there's kind of like he said, the the energy and the playfulness that comes from it. Yeah, because I, I hope some of y'all don't go really creepy on me and then go to this low vibrational creepy. But I can see how it plays a part. And I think let me get back to the reading because this is <laughs> it's making sense. Like I'm coming I'm coming back to my mind all the times this has worked. A lot of you know I've been in sales. I, I used to do sales. I've been in MLMs. And so it makes sense too. Even in terms of how I present it. Because like he said, sometimes it's unconscious. But um, every living organism repeats what is successful. So there were things that I would do and how I would present. And if I found it to be successful, then I would do that again. Right? And... um and that meant I presented a certain way and sometimes I would show a little bit of cleavage, not, you know, this is making it sound so bad, but let's, let's just, I would definitely present like really ultra feminine if I was dealing with, if I felt like I was going to be dealing with the ultra masculine guy, I would go ultra feminine. I would have, I would still wear my um, office attire, but it definitely had heels. Fragrance was done really high. Um, curly hair, lashes, lip gloss popping, shiny skin, like, yeah, right? Then many times not even having a sexual conversation at all, but it just does something to that. Oh, let me, let me keep going here. We said we weren't going to do that. So it says, the salesman who knows how to take his mind off the subject of sex and direct it um, in sales effort with as much enthusiasm and determination as he would apply to its original purpose has acquired the art of sex transporta- transmutation, whether he or she knows it or not. This majority of salesmen who transmute this energy do so by do so without being in the least aware of what they are doing or how they are doing it. But at least now you're aware, right? When we've done the oracle readings of persuasion tactics, sometimes you can hear how other people have used it um, and how you may have used it and it worked, but you just weren't aware, but now you're aware and now you can use it to your advantage, right? Transportation of sex energy calls for more willpower than the average person cares to use for this purpose. And this makes sense because I think the average person is kind of left at a whim where you kind of just... um, Go with the flow or what what is going on with the chemical makeup in your mind and you can translate it to mean, oh, if I feel sexual energy from this person, then let's hop into bed when really the next step is for you to transmute that energy, which then calls for, it says here, transmutation of sex energy cells call for more willpower. Okay, Willpower, and I would want to say directed or harnessed or intentional willpower than the average person cares to use for this purpose. Those who find it difficult to summon willpower sufficient for transmutation may gradually acquire this ability. So don't worry. If you're kind of struggling, you can definitely gradually acquire this. this. And I think that kind of explains why, to a certain degree, because... Y'all, don't don't go crazy on me here now, right? But that explains why some older men just exude that confidence that a lot of women are attracted to. I'm not talking about dusty, crusty men who haven't cultivated this discipline over the years and time. But um, 
but but it, it definitely you know this is like it says it says this type of person has more willpower than the average person so i'm not talking about your everyday person the type of people that i think i'm attracted to are they've cultivated that willpower and it comes out right and and so keeping in mind that what we're reading from is here is why men seldom succeed before the age of 40 so it says those uh we already read that um those who find it difficult to summon willpower sufficient for transmutation may gradually acquire this ability though this requires willpower the reward for the practice is more than the worth the effort love that it says the entire subject of sex is one with which the majority of people appear to be unpardonably ignorant <clears throat> Ooh. Napoleon, you said unpardonably ignorant. Y'all, y'all already know. When I was reading from Dr. Wallace Waddles, he's like, I was like, you do not need to call them that, sir. Napoleon Hill, I was with you until you called these people unpardonably ignorant. Oh. <laughs> I can't. This is the entire subject of sex with the major with which the majority of people appear to be unpardonably ignorant. Shit. The urge of sex has been grossly misunderstood, I agree, slandered and burlesqued by the ignorant and and the evil-minded for so long that the very word sex is seldom used in polite society. And I'm pretty sure we're going to put it in the title, but, right? Men and women who are, are known to be blessed, and he put, yes, blessed, with highly sexed natures are usually looked upon as being people who will who will bear watching what does that mean so one he, he's kind of saying the same thing that i am too you know being highly sexed nature is a blessing but he says here men and women who are known to be blessed yes blessed with highly sexed natures are usually usually looked upon as people who will bear watching. That's a terminology, a phrase that I is not modern, so I don't know what he means by that. But it says instead of being called blessed, they are usually called cursed. <laughs> it says people of millions of people. I'm gonna just say this one time and then just bear with it. I've mentioned to you guys, I think I have low form dyslexia, but I've been able to, I'm, um, I can function with it. And this is one of those things that it takes me back to fourth grade. I still remember in the fourth grade when I still remember the classroom and everything and they would call on you to read and it would come through. And part of the reason, like we already don't like to speak in front of people, but this is bringing back that energy. But guess what? I'm still power through it, right? We're still going to get through, through this content. So I know you love me. I love myself. That's for sure. Let's get into it. Just bear with me as I kind of stumble through the words, but we're going to get through it. So it says millions of people, even in this age of enlightenment, have inferiority complexes, which they develop because of their faults belief that a highly sexed nature is a curse these statements of the virtue of sex energy should not be construed as justification for the libertine the emotion of sex is a virtue only when used intelligently right so he's kind of the same the same thing that i'm saying which is hey 
it's okay to have sexual urges and sexual desires and like even appreciate good eye candy, right? It just does something to you every time you see them or hear their voice or talk to them and that type of thing. And they look good, smell good, make you laugh, right? Um, how do I transmute that energy to become a better person, right? Um, and so you don't want to go to the other extreme where it's kind of like, well, I'm a sexual person. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of testosterone, so I have a lot of sex drive. So I'm just going to sleep with any and everybody and sow my wild oats and just go with the wind, right? He's saying the emotion of sex is a virtue only when used intelligently. And this is so funny because when I tell you guys, um, one thing I've learned on this journey, if I'm seeking something, I will get the information. Last night, I was wanting to figure out, is sex spiritual, right? And it took me down this rabbit hole where we figured out who is talking about spirituality and sex. And what came up was Tantra. And the thing about Tantra sex is that Tantra sex is is about having conscious sex. And so that means that everyone else is having unconscious sex, right? So here he's saying... um, He's saying, <laughs> this is why I need my little bookmark here. Hold on. I had my finger right there. The emotion of sex is a virtue only when used intelligently and with discrimination. It may be misused and often is to which extent that it debases instead of enriches both body and mind. The better use of this power is the burden of this chapter. Hey, I'm all for it. I'm going to leave that comment alone. So it says, it seemed quite significant to the author when he made the discovery that practically every great leader whom had the privilege of whom he had the privilege of analyzing was a man whose achievements were largely inspired by a woman. Ladies, I'm telling you. You kind of miss, you know, don't really understand your roles or maybe I'm imposing that on you, superimposing that on you. But that's just even for me, right? To understand how I have the ability of, of inspiring the men around me the same way that I am inspired by a good, handsome, six foot five, dimples, muscle having, deep voice having man. Let's just let's just go. Okay. So it says, um, we're largely inspired by a woman. And this chapter is geared towards men, right? So it says, in many instances, the woman in the case was a modest, self-denying wife of whom, mm, I don't know about that, of whom the public had heard but little or nothing. In a few instances, the source of inspiration has been traced to the other woman, um, and, and so this is interesting because um, he's actually talking about the power of the wife. Like this is just three sentences, y'all. But don't don't miss how powerful it is what he's saying here. He's saying in his experience, in the author's experience of um, looking at 25 to 30,000 people, he talks about how these men were largely inspired by a woman. And it says, in many instances, the woman in the case was a modest, self-denying wife, right? A wife. 
And he said here, in a few instances, right? So the majority of these 25 to 30,000 people, the woman that was the muse was a wife. And then he put in few instances, right? The source of inspiration has been traced to the other woman. So he did happen to mention the secretary, but that would fall under the category of few instances, right? So if we're talking about a healthy man's ability to transmute, um, he's not going on the whim of every single woman and getting his energy off of multiple women. It's it's off of his wife, right? And that nurturing, like home base type of thing, if, if that kind of makes sense, it's not a bunch of all these other women to, to where it's like you're surrounding yourself with beautiful women because they're your muse. No, most of these cases, it's your wife. It's bae. It's wifey. It says, perhaps such cases may not be entirely unknown to you. So he says, intemperance in sex habits is just as detrimental as intemperance in habits of drinking and eating. And I'm going to throw in gambling in there too, right? So talking about sex talking about um, health and wealth. Gambling would be an example of intemperance, right? In this age we live, an age which began with the world war, intemperance in habits of sex is common. This orgy of indulgence may account for the shortage of great leaders. Damn, that is so true. This orgy of indulgence may account for the shortage of great leaders. No man can avail himself of the forces of his creative imagination while dissipating them. Man is the only creature on earth who violates nature's purpose in this connection. Every other animal indulges his sex nature in moderation and with the purpose which harmonizes with the laws of nature. Every other animal responds to the call of sex only in season. Y'all, that is a read. It says man's inclination is to declare open season. Ooh, that is so freaking deep. Y'all, I love reading so much. It says every intelligent person knows that stimulation in excess through alcoholic drink and narcotics is a form of intemperance which destroys the vital organs of the body, including the brain. Not every person knows, however, that overindulgence in sex expression may become a habit as destructive and as detrimental to the creative effort as narcotics and liquor. Y'all, again, this is freaking deep. He's not Napoleon Hill for nothing. It says, a sex mad man. I'm so going to be coining this this, this um, phrase moving forward. A sex mad man is not essentially different than a dope mad man. Both have lost control over their faculties of reason and willpower. Sexual overindulgence may not only destroy reason and willpower. Come on now. Come on now, Napoleon. Let's go. But it says, but it may also lead to other temporary or permanent insanity. Many cases of hypochondria or imaginary illness grow out of habits developed in ignorance of the true function of sex. 
From the brief references of the subject, it may be readily seen that ignorance on the subject of sex transmutation forces stupendous penalties upon the ignorant on the one hand and withholds from them equally stupendous benefits on the other. Keep it in mind, right, you guys, we're, we're reading about why men seldom succeed before 40. And here we are talking about sex, right? You would think it had to do with money management, ambition, drive, education. It's about sex. Widespread ignorance of the subject of sex is due to the fact that the subject has been surrounded with mystery and be clouded by dark silence. The conspiracy of mystery and silence has had the same effect upon the minds of young people that the psychology of prohibition had. The result has been increased curiosity and desire to acquire more knowledge on the verboten subject. And to the shame of law, all lawmakers and most physicians, excuse me, by Training best qualified to educate youth on the subject, information has not been easily available. Seldom does an individual enter upon highly creative effort in any field of endeavor before the age of 40. Okay, I'm going to run that one by you one more time. So it says seldom does an individual enter upon high creative effort in any field of endeavor before the age of 40. The average man reaches the period of his greatest capacity to create between 40 and 60. Oh, snap. You know what? This makes a lot of sense. That's wild. Okay. These statements are based upon analysis of thousands of men and women who have been carefully observed. They should be encouraging this. No. They should be encouraging to those who fail to arrive before the age of 40 and to those who become frightened at the approach of quote-unquote old age around the 40-year mark. The years between 40 and 50 are, as a rule, the most fruitful. Men should approach this age not with fear and trembling, but with the hope and eager anticipation. And I would say that that even more so for women, because if women mature much more earlier right they like to slam us a lot with this whole you know you're gonna hit the wall da, da, da. again bearing in mind in the black community we talk a lot about sexual market value right but if you were to look at how you know if if it takes men um up until 40 and 50 and 60 to mature women by the time we're that age we're definitely killing it Woo! I love it. If if you're with me this far, especially my divine feminines, right? If men are just starting to, to step into their prime at 40, divine feminine, you are going to be, this girl is on fire. Woo! Woo! It says men should approach this age not with fear and trembling, but with hope and eager anticipation. That is beautiful. It says if you if you want evidence that most men do not begin to do their best work before the age of 40, study the records of the most successful men known to the American people and you will find it. Henry Ford had not hit his pace of achievement until he had passed the age of 40. 
Andrew Carnegie, one of my favorite authors, was well past 40 before he began to reap the rewards of his efforts. James J. Hill was still running a telegraph at the age of 40. Mm. His stupendous achievements took place after that age. Biographies of American industrialists and financiers are filled with evidence that the period from 40 to 60 is the most productive age of men. Between the ages of 30 and 40, men begin to learn, if he ever learns, oh, the shade, Napoleon, why? I love it. He said, between the ages of 30 and 40, men began to learn. And then he put, if he ever learns. <laughs> Sorry, that took me out. Hold on. <laughs> Let's keep it pushing, y'all, because I, I really would be reading this somewhere and just be chuckling like... <laughs> So man begins to learn, if he ever learns, the art of sex transmutation. The discovery is generally accidental, and more often than otherwise, the man who makes it is totally unconscious of his discovery. But not you, my friend, because now you're aware. All right, so it's giving me the 15-minute little alert here. So it says, he may observe that his powers of achievement have increased around the age of 35 to 40, but in most cases, he is not familiar with the cause of this change. Nature, that nature begins to harmonize the emotions of love and sex in the individual between the ages of 30 and 40, so that he may draw upon these great forces to apply them jointly to stimuli and to action. <clears throat> so he said, sex alone is a mighty urge to action, but its forces are like a cyclone. They are often uncontrollable. When the emotion of sex begins to mix itself with the emotion of... No, no, no. Y'all, I promise you, low-key dyslexic here. So it says, when the emotion of love begins to mix itself with the emotion of sex, the result is calmness of purpose, poise, accuracy of judgment, and balance. What person who has attained the age of 40 is so unfortunate as to be unable to analyze these statements and to corroborate them by his own experience? When driven by his desire to please a woman... I love that. It says, when driven by the desire to please a woman, based solely upon the emotion of sex, a man may be and is usually capable of great achievement, but his actions must be, may be disorganized, distorted, and totally destructive. When driven by the desire to please a woman, based upon the motive of sex alone, a man may steal, cheat, and even commit murder. But when the emotion of love is mixed with the emotion of sex, that same man will guide his action with more sanity, balance, and reason. I freaking love that, right? That's a whole word right there for my divine masculines. I think divine feminines, we were talking a little bit earlier about how do you know that, you know, to pick the right guy for potential if you're going to, you know, and take it with a grain of salt. I'm single here. Never had a, a marriage or anything like that. But this is giving you kind of like benchmarks, 
right? What what can you look for, especially if a guy is successful before the age of 30? What does he look like? What, how does he act? It just gave you a whole gem right there. It says, criminologists have discovered that the most hardened criminals can be reformed to... What? Okay, Napoleon, I'm going to burn this book. Like, no. You know what? Let me read it. I don't think I agree with this, but let me... I don't not agree with this. But I'm going to read it, though. It says, criminologists have discovered that the most hardened criminals can be reformed through the influence of a woman's, and he put in italics, love, right? So not sex, love. There's no record of a criminal having been reformed solely through through the sex influence. These facts are well known, but their cause is not. Reformation comes, if at all, (laughs) through the heart or the emotional side of man, not through his head or his reasoning side, right? So it's not about rationale. That's This is wild. I'm not saying I agree with this, but let's just listen to what else Napoleon Hill has to say, especially as a man to men. (laughs) It says, Reformation means change of heart. It does not mean a change of head. Now that is deep. Reformation means a change of heart. It does not mean a change of head. I think when we think of reformation, we think change of how we think, right? But it's actually a change of heart. That is a whole word. Oh my goodness. I uh, I want to underline this because I don't want to. I know I'm going to come back and look for this. Just bear with me. All right. I'm going to take a little mini break because I need to start over another hour segment anyways. But I want to underline this while it's in front of me. So you're going to hear me in the next couple seconds. Okay, my loves. That was a great reset. I got to drink some water and got out another pencil and another bookmark i need to buy more but fascinating right reformation means a change of heart it does not mean a change of head a man may because of reason make certain changes in his personal conduct to avoid the consequences and this bookmark is going to help me okay we're on track now avoid the consequences of undesirable effects but genuine reformation comes only through change of heart through a desire to change. Love, romance, and sex are all emotions capable of driving men to heights of super achievement. So here's another gem. Keep in mind the the, the title of this of this the subtitle of this is Why Men Seldom Succeed Before 40. And he kind of talked us through how, you know, um Men are tend to be more driven by that testosterone, right? Wanting to sow their wild oats, wanting to just explore their sexuality instead of learning how to transmute it. And so here it is, especially for my divine masculines, right? Especially for my divine masculines. Here's the formula. Coincidentally, because I'm not... <laughs> keep saying I'm not giving you advice but you're here for it and my divine feminines can hear this too but it plays such an important role and I think it's unfortunate because um there's a shying away of it right you hear 
I think one of the words that he used early in this chapter is um, evil minded, right? And so here we have when a man says that he likes to please his woman, right? And to care and protect and provide for his woman, right? They're called simps, right? When you can see that he's in love with her and he loves to hold her hand and spend time with her and they have that companionship, right? And here it is, love, romance, and sex are all emotions capable of driving men to heights of super achievement. Love is the emotion which serves as a safety valve and ensures balance, poise, and constructive effort. When combined, these three emotions may lift one to an altitude of genius. Come on now. Remember, we're talking a little bit about evil-minded and how you look at who, you know, especially in the, in the black community, who we are evil-minded towards, right? We, people that we call simps. But here you're listening to Napoleon Hill, one of a kind. If you're on any type of a journey to becoming wealthy and successful and a multimillionaire, you know who Napoleon Hill is, right? Do you, I need to underline this real quick. Ooh, that is so freaking deep. When combined, <clears throat> these three emotions may lift one to an altitude, right? Not attitude, altitude of genius. It says there are genii, however, who know, who know but little of the emotion of love. Most of them may be found engaged in some form of action which is destructive or at least not based upon upon justice and fairness toward, towards others. If good taste would permit, a dozen genii right, would, could be named in the field of industry and finance who ride ruthlessly over the heights, the rights of their fellow men. They seem totally lacking in conscience. The reader can easily supply his own list of such men. So you can come up with your own people of, you know, men who, you know, the world would consider to be genius, but are ruthless with their fellow men. It says the emotions are states of mind. Nature has provided man with chemistry of the mind. Y'all, when I tell you I don't believe in um coincidences... Just within the last 12, 12 to 24 hours, we've been talking about the neurochemical makeup of the mind, right? And how it affects your physical and your psychology. Um, we talked about like with estrogen or, or testosterone dominance, if you're uh, estrogen dominant, you're going to have the curves, you're going to have the titties for sure, the, the, the hips and the, you know, things that make you more feminine. If you're more testosterone based, you're going to have more muscles. You're going to have that deep voice. Um, and with that, you're going to also come a along a certain way. Like you can notice if, if some um, people take testosterone, they become more aggressive. It just is what it is. They become more um, erratic if they don't know how to harness that power, right? I'm not saying that all men are erratic, but it just, if you don't know how to um, handle that, that, 
power, um, it comes across as erratic, right? And then you have men who take estrogen and they become soft and their voice is softer and high pitched and they become more effeminate, right? So those are chemistry that's hormones that's in your body. And so here he's talking about the um, principles. um, He says, nature has provided man with chemistry of the mind. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about too. So when we engage in sex, we actually studied this last night was um, for men and women, sex produces another chemical reaction for women it produces more oxytocin, which makes them want to bond and cuddle and love and nurture. And with men, they produce oxytocin, but not as much as as women. And it actually does something else with the testosterone. And I kind of don't remember um, what all, you know, that type of thing. But here it is talking about the chemistry of the mind. Okay. Nature has provided man with the chemistry of the mind which operates in a manner similar to the principle of chemistry of matter. It is a well-known fact that through the aid of chemistry of matter, a chemist may create a deadly poison by mixing certain elements, none of which are in themselves harmful in the right proportions. The emotions may likewise be combined so as to create deadly poison. The emotions of sex and jealousy when mixed may turn a person into an insane beast. The presence of one or more of the destructive emotions in the human mind through the chemistry of the mind sets up a poison which may destroy one's sense of justice and fairness. In extreme cases, the presence of any combination of these emotions is in the mind may destroy one's reason. The road to genius consists of the development, control, and use of sex, love, and romance. You would think the road to genius would be something else, like more along the lines of academia and access to information and stuff. But here it says that the road to a genius consists of development, control, use of sex, love, and romance. Briefly, the process may be stated as follows. Encourage the presence of these emotions and the dominating thoughts in one's mind and discourage the presence of all destructive emotions. Mm. That is deep. I'm going to underline it and then read it again. All right, just bear with me. Hopefully I haven't lost you. I'm right here. And what's sticking out to me is, you know, I really do struggle, if I'm honest, with um, not spending so much time in destructive thoughts and energy, right? And here we are reminded yet again the importance of discouraging presence of destructive emotions. It says, encourage the presence of these emotions, which are um, were love, romance, and sex, Right? Encourage the presence of these emotions as the dominating thoughts in one's mind and discourage the presence of all negative emotions. The mind is a creature of habit. It thrives upon the dominating thoughts fed it. And I remember we've talked about this a couple, it's been about a year, but I talked about um, dominating beliefs. We've talked a lot about limiting beliefs, but what is your dominating belief? 
And you want to have more positive, uplifting thoughts than negative ones. I, but I know for sure I did a podcast on this. The importance of dominating beliefs, right? Through the faculty of willpower, one may discourage the presence of any emotion and encourage the presence of any other, right? So now that you're aware, you can flip that switch, right? Willpower is not only knowing about them, but deciding how to harness it and flipping that switch and and rerouting how you use that energy, transmuting that energy. The mind is a creature of habit. It thrives upon the dominating thoughts fed it. Through the faculty of willpower, one may discourage the presence of any emotion and encourage the presence of any other. Control of the mind through the will power of will is not difficult. <laughs> Control's co- control comes from persistence and habit. The secret of control lies in understanding the process of transmutation. Mm, I think he's about to, to go in a little bit more about transmutation, right? The secret of control lies in understanding the process of okay transmutation. When any negative emotion presents itself in one's mind, it can be transmuted into a positive or constructive emotion by the simple procedure of changing one's thoughts. So there it is. It's that simple. You get a negative thought, you switch gears, flip the switch, and turn it over into a positive thought. I guess it's that simple, right? That's what transmuting is. Taking the the sexual impulse and transmuting it into power. Cultivating it into enthusiasm, cultivating into ambition, cultivating it into into drive. I I think he's doing a really great job of it, giving you different examples of what he means. So some of you might have gotten it earlier. Some of you are getting it in this point. And this one, it's just adding, reinforcing how I understand it, right? So it says, there's no other road to genius than through voluntary self-effort. A man may attain to great heights of financial or business achievement solely by the driving force of sex energy, (laughs) but history is filled with evidence that he may and usually does carry with him certain traits of character which rob him of the ability to either hold or enjoy fortune. This is worthy of analysis, thought, and meditation for it states a truth. The knowledge of which may be helpful to women as well as men. Okay, so let me see if I understand what he says here. Um, Because that was a long sentence. So you can have certain traits that will rob you of your ability to hold or enjoy fortune. And but it says with the with worthy this is worthy of analysis, thought and and meditation, for it states a truth that the knowledge of which may be helpful to men and women. Ignorance of this has caused thousands of people their privilege of happiness, even though they possessed ha- uh, riches. Now that's on a whole other level. That's transcendental. Like oof. the emotions of love and sex leave their unmistakable marks upon the features. Moreover, these signs are so visible that all who wish may read them. Mm. The man who is driven by the storm of passion based upon sex desires alone plainly advertises the fact 
Woo, y'all. I'm a little sleepy already. Let's see if we can get through this. I have two more, one, two, and a half more pages. <sighs> Here we go. So he says, um, the man who's driven by the storm of passion based upon sex desires alone plainly advertises the facts to the entire world by the expression of his eyes and the lines of his face. The emotions of love when mixed with the emotions of sex soften, modifies, and beautifies the facial expression. Oh, okay, so there's a difference of how he looks when it's just about sex, right? Versus when the emotion is mixed with love, the emotions in his face. For those of you who are really good at reading people's faces and reading their body language, right? A person who, especially when you're looking at men who are driven by um, sex alone, um, their face, it says it plainly advertises it. You can see the, I think like what he's talking about is the lust in their eyes, the lines of his face, right? It says, whereas when you mix in the emotions of love, um, the emotions of love, it's uh, of when you combine the emotions of love and sex, it softens, modifies, and beautifies the facial expression, right? I want you to kind of think about men and or women, you know, um, when you can tell that they have a sexual attractiveness, but their faces are softer. And I think it's so interesting because, again, last night when I was kind of figuring out why I'm attracted to, to, to some content creators and why I'm not to others... When I think in particular of the three that got on my nerves within the last couple of days and I've banished them into the world of do not recommend on YouTube, they all, even though they're women, they have that that look in their eyes and the lines in their face of those that are like just angry, right? Um I think that when I think about the my 1.5, I'm going to upgrade him to a 2. I'm going to upgrade him to a 2. So my two crushes, because the reason I say 0.5 on one of them is because I he is attractive, but it, it's <laughs> me rationalizing. I don't like, it's not that I don't like his body. I really like his mind. I like how it operates. But I think part of it too is it's just reiterating. I don't Every crush I've had, eventually they wanted to come around and try to add me on Facebook and be friends with it. I just like them for eye candy or for the stimulation that comes out of it, you know, um, because they do serve as muses for me. But um, with that being said, when I think about like even my, my crushes and the spaces I'm in or even the exes that I used to have, there was... Um, a little bit more so than with other men when you kind of can tell by looking at someone's face when they're just kind of um and that's how that's how when women see somebody they're like oh that's a player that's a player you can tell by looking at their face right he he says it right here napoleon hill says things that you intuitively know he says the man who is driven by the storm of passion based upon sex desires alone plainly advertises that fact to the entire world by the expression of his eyes and the lines of his face. Soon as you see him, you already know it's a player. Because the way that they move, the way that their body, their eyes, their face, their, you know, the licking of the lips and that whole, it's a player. Advertises the fact to the whole entire world. Okay. 
Whereas when mixed with love, it softens, modifies, and beautifies the facial expression. It says, no character analyst is needed to tell you this. You may observe it for yourself. That's wild, right? Kind of helping you to explain how you're able to intuitively, this is the psychology or the the thought process behind it from Napoleon Hill. (laughs) Right? The emotion of love brings out and develops the artistic and the aesthetic nature of man. It leaves its impress upon one's very soul, even after the fire has been subdued by time and circumstance. You know what kind of, mm, this this makes sense, but I don't want to give too much TMI, but it's really explaining a lot of the stuff. That's wild. But I think that love is also a strong word. But it, it kind of explains some things. It makes sense. Hmm. It brings out and develops the artistic and aesthetic nature of man. And it impresses upon one's soul. Even after the fire has been subdued by time and circumstance. It says, memories of love never pass. And this is true. Right? Memories of love never pass. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you guys, it says they linger, guide, and influence long after the source of stimulation has faded, right? So when we think even about twin flame journeys and past lovers type of thing, um, we talk a lot about catalysts. I think one of the biggest um, takeaways from the quote-unquote twin flame journey, which I have completely removed myself from that um you know, but I still have takeaways that I take away from that, from that journey and being in that space. Um, one of the, the things that we greatly under undermine is the power of the catalyst. I almost want to say a catalyst plays a bigger role than the quote unquote twin flame. And I would even say that the divine masculine could be a um, is a catalyst of sorts, right? Because um, the whole idea about a catalyst is, is when we're talking about in the twin flame journey, they come in and they literally are like your spiritual teacher for that moment in time. And sometimes it can be sad because when they come into your life, like you really soak up a lot of energy and like, a, well, yeah, energy and information and knowledge from them. And you learn a lot of deep lessons and then when you learn them all, they go on, right, for that moment in time. But hopefully it's like you kind of want somebody that will be more of a companion that you can continue to learn with, right? Maybe we all experience that. But um, a catalyst is that type of person that it says, you know, they linger, guide, and influence long after the source of stimulation has faded. There is nothing new to this. Every person who has been moved by genuine love knows that it leaves enduring traces upon the human heart. The effect of love endures because love is spiritual in nature. Ooh-hoo-hoo! This is Napoleon Hill, y'all. Napoleon said love is spiritual in nature. Now, he did not say sex is spiritual in nature, but remember, you need all three. You need love, romance, and sex. In order to ascend the heights of genius. Love is spiritual in nature. The man who cannot be stimulated to great heights 
of achievement by love is hopeless. Oh, shit. That's an indictment, y'all. Not my words. This is Napoleon. If you know what I'm referring to, then you know. It says the man who cannot be stimulated to the great heights of achievement by love is hopeless. Topless. What? What is the word? Uh, what's that phrase? I think by Miss Elliot. Hopeless, topless, like broke with the hole, like a penny with a hole in it. Oh, he is dead, though he may seem to live. You know what? That, that. I'm going to say as a single person, I think part of what it, I think has been nice for me to experience it just is what it is i'm not going to pretend to have all the answers but it is refreshing to have a crush um and two crushes um because it makes me feel like i can be back in that type of energy even though i'm not necessarily wanting to be sexually active but um i think that it takes me to this energy where it's kind of like um it's assuring because it makes me feel like I can be stimulated by love, right? And so it makes me know that I truly am alive, right? So it says, the man who cannot be stimulated to the great heights of achievement by love is hopeless, right? And again, I don't want it to be bad in the sense of like, if you say, well, I'm never gonna date or I love enjoy being single, just explore what that means for you. But I don't think in any me- by any means does the saying to be out there and be reckless, have willpower. And at the end of the day, love, this one, we're talking about love and sex and romance, but you can have love in other areas. And again, understanding that it's about how you transmute that energy. So a lot of us, we think, oh, um, single means turn off the sexual drive. Being single means, and I've talked about this a little bit too, because I have said this before. I think that Um, This was maybe about two months ago. I remember kind of coming to a realization where I said, when I observe other women who have taken the oath of singledom, they let themselves go. They don't do their hair. They don't um, take care of their apparel. They don't pay attention to how they smell. Because in their mind, they're not trying to attract the opposite sex. So they, they look miserable. And I remember saying it's like, Just because I'm single doesn't mean I don't like to moisturize my skin and to put on my favorite fragrance and to get my hair done. I am working my way back up into wearing makeup again, but I really have enjoyed not wearing makeup and the natural look probably can have a happy medium where it's not as much as when I used to go into the office all the time or have Zoom conferences, but I still enjoy dressing myself and You know, the little colorful manicure, pedicures, and I love smelling it. Y'all, crush number two. Y'all, why was he smell? I don't know what he was wearing. And it wasn't overpowering. It's only like when he gets really close to you that you smell it. But you have to get like close, close. But maybe TMI. But, um, and so here it is. It's talking about, I just want my single divine feminines and masculines to kind of consider that, right? If you've taken the oath of being single, um... It's not that you're turning off the fire. You still need to be able to leverage that sex drive. And I also want to invite you to go back and revisit. Remember when we talked about um, earlier in the chapter where it was talking about those um, 
how that energy is communicated, right? The handshake, the voice, the tone of the voice, the posture and carriage of the body, vibrations of thought and body adornment. Okay? Just something for you to think about. This is definitely helping me fill in the gaps, right? Because it said, The man who cannot be stimulated to great heights of achievement by love is hopeless. He is dead, though he may seem to be alive. Even the memories of love are sufficient to lift one to a higher plane of creative effort. The major force of love may spend itself and pass away like a fire which has burned itself out. But it leaves behind the indelible marks as evidence that it passed that way. Its departure often prepares the human heart for still greater love. Y'all! Napoleon, what are you trying to do to my heart? <laughs> don't break my heart. My achy, breaky heart. I just don't think you'd understand. And if it's my heart, I think you'd for those of you who are single and taking time to be single, nothing wrong with that. There's some of you who want to eventually, you know, give it another shot. All of that heartbreak that you experienced before, you know, um, as painful as it, as it might have been, Although pain shouldn't get to the point where it's painful or hurts. But it says it should leave a... Prepares the heart for a still greater love. Right? And as we're fine-tuning and, and, and making sense of things, I think that when you think about evil-minded, you know, a lot of the times in the black community, the evil-minded... Uh, sex madmen <laughs> will say stuff like, oh, why do you think you deserve better love if you made poor choices as a teenager and in, as in a young adult? What makes you think that you can aspire for greater and better love? And that's one thing I admire about women. I think women are more willing to try and try and try again and 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 even say course correct, right? And... um only a simple-minded person or an evil-minded person would not understand that every time you have another love cycle, we should be preparing for greater love. When I think of my past relationships, sure enough, the, the first boyfriend I had in my early 20s, 21, um, was it not, yeah, I was 21, like, mm, I think 2021, 20, yeah. The last relationships I had were much more greater in love, you know, or even if it was just me experiencing it, maybe not 100% reciprocal. So me falling in love again, it's like I do the inner work, I do the shadow work, I inner over outer stand, that the path is even is is there for me to find even greater than what was before. I choose better. So whoever is coming in, it's going to be hundred thousand times better than anything I've ever experienced before. And I think that's why when women are win winning and when they are able to level up, that's a reflection of the inner work. That's how you have these stories of um like uh Neo's ex, right? I think her name starts with an M. I, her name's not coming to my mind right now. And Sierra, right? And like I'll just throw in like Megan Markle or 
Um, am I going to throw in Tamar Baxson? Uh, I don't know. Time will tell with that one. But women, I think, being spiritual creatures and stuff like that, we... It, it's in, like it's stuff that you don't understand, but this is part of the reason why we're able to make it. And so you do have evil minded people that will say, what makes you think that you can go for something greater than what you had before? If you had a dusty and, you know, in a previous relationship, what makes you think you can qualify for a better love? But here it says Napoleon Hill, y'all. The major force of love may spend itself and pass away like a fire which has burned itself out, but it leaves behind indelible marks as evidence that it has passed that way. Its departure prepares the heart for still greater love. What? Twin flame kind of love. It says, go back into your yester days at times and bathe your mind in the beautiful memories of past love it will soften the influence of the present worries and annoyances it will give you a source of escape from the unpleasant realities of life and maybe who knows your mind will yield to you during this temporary retreat into the world of fantasy ideas or plans which may change the entire financial or spiritual status of your life Y'all, that's freaking deep. Oh my God, that's... Mm. It will give you a source of escape from the unpleasant realities and yield to you during this temporary retreat into the world of fantasy, ideas or plans, which may change the entire financial... It's like you're calling that energy in, like manifesting it, right? It says, if you believe yourself unfortunate because you have loved and lost, perish the thought. So he said, dead it, kill it, forget that, throw it out the window. If you believe yourself unfortunate because you have loved and lost, perish the thought. So he's talking to me. Let's see what he's telling me. He says, one who has loved truly can never lose entirely. And I've said that before. It's also in the description of my bio. Um, I know what it's like to have loved deeply, profoundly. And it didn't wasn't reciprocated, right? In the sense of like, um, it would have been nice. And I, you know, thinking you're walking alongside someone on a certain, but, um, you you know, you can never lose entirely. And I want to make sure because I might get some pushback on this, but I know exactly it just came to me. I'm not saying I'm gonna love someone who doesn't love me. I'm saying I know what it's like to feel love, right? To care about someone, to feel connected to someone. Um, but I, I, at the same time, I'm not saying I'm going to stay in that state if it's not reciprocated. So don't, don't try me. Don't try me being. <laughs> okay. Um, so it says love. You can never lose entirely. Love is whimsical and temperamental. And I love to hear this from a guy because I do feel like when I think about love, I do think about it from a whimsical standpoint. And I love here, too, that he said that it's temperamental. I just love this so much. It says its nature is ephemeral, ephemeral and transitory. It comes when it pleases and goes away without warning. Accept and enjoy it while it remains, but spend no time worrying about its departure. 
worry will never bring it back. And I hate to t say this to you, but a lot of y'all still sitting out here waiting on these tarot readers to tell you that your ex that left you doesn't give a shit about you, is living his whole entire best life with whoever he went for. Worrying about it and getting tarot readings on it is not going to bring them back. <laughs> so just keep it pushing. You have something greater ahead of you that whatever you went through is preparing you for greater love if you're there to receive it. But anyways, back to what Napoleon is saying. It says, dismiss also the thought that love never comes but once. Ooh, Y'all twin flame people are going to hate me. You're going to hate um, Napoleon Hill because I think part of the thing with the whole twin flame thing is kind of like, this is the one love of your life. Like, this is the person you were meant to be with. And no, no, no. Mm -mm. The thought that love never comes but once. I'm so excited for my future. <laughs> it says love may come and go times without a number. But there are no two love experiences which affect one in just the same way. There may be, and there usually is, one love experience which leaves a deeper imprint on the heart than all the others. And that's where I'm at right now. Like, I have one or two that, that definitely left an indelible print on my heart. But hey, let's see what the future holds. You mean to tell me there's something greater out there? This law of abundance and prosperity? What? Increasing my container for incapacity for love? What? But all love experiences are beneficial. And it says all love experiences are beneficial. Keyword love. So let's not confuse all relationships are beneficial or all sexual. All love experiences are beneficial. Except to the person who becomes resentful and cynical when love makes its departure. Hmm, interesting. That's deep. There should be no disappointment over love. And there should be none if people understood the difference between the emotions of love and sex. The major difference is that love is spiritual while sex is biological. Woo-wee! Remember, I don't believe in coincidences. Last night question came up is sex spiritual here's napoleon hill less than 12 hours later y'all helping to kind of just fine-tune and clear up your understanding of stuff love is spiritual sex is biological so sex is not spiritual love is spiritual no experience and so he said earlier that love what he said about love i want to remind you again it said A man who cannot be stimulated to great heights of achievement by love is hopeless. He is dead even though he may be alive. Mm. No experience which touches the human heart with a spiritual force can possibly be harmful except through ignorance or jealousy. Love without is, without question, life's greatest experience. It brings one into communion with the infinite intelligence, right? So um, that's his way of saying divine source, 
Okay, so it brings one into communion with infinite intelligence. And what's so interesting about this too, infinite intelligence, right? That high frequency of love, the God frequency, which is 936 or something like that, or 963, something like that. Hmm. When mixed with the emotions of romance and sex, it may lead one far up the ladder of creative effort. The emotions of love, sex, and romance are sides of the eternal triangle of achievement building genius. Nature creates genii through no other force. Love is an emotion with many sides, shades, and colors. The love with which one feels for parents or children is quite different from that which one feels for one's sweetheart. The one is mixed with the emotion of sex while the other is not. No, duh, that should go without saying. The love which one feels in true friendship is not the same as that felt for one's sweetheart, parents, or children, but it too is a form of love. So I think remember earlier I was talking about how for um, singles, there's other forms of love. I think that he's addressing this. Um, let's see what else he has to say, right? He said, then there is the emotion of love for things inanimate, such as the love of nature's handiwork. But the most intense and burning of all these various kinds of love is experienced, is that experienced in the blending of emotions of love and marriage. Marriage is not blessed with the eternal affinity of love. Properly balanced and proportioned with sex cannot be happy ones. And seldom endure. Right? So they need to have a proper balance of affinity of love. Balanced and proportioned with sex. Okay? Love alone will not bring happiness in marriage. Nor will sex alone. When these two beautiful emotions are blended. Marriage may bring about a state of mind. Closest to the spiritual one. That one may ever know on this earthly plane. Kind of a taking me back to that Tantra experience, right? That heightened conscious sexual state, state that you achieve when when you're sexual with your partner, right? Remember we, at the beginning he talked about how um, it's it's usually the wife that is serves the purpose of the muse and helps him see he reach those uh, heightened states of achievement. Um, yes, it can be other women too, but it's usually wifey type of a thing. That one person that you connect consciously with. It says it, it, um, when these two beautiful emotions are blended, marriages may bring out a state of mind closest to the spiritual that one may ever know on this earthly plane. When the emotions of romance is added to those of love and sex... The obstructions between the finite mind of man and infinite intelligence are removed. What? Romance? Y'all, and y'all know I love romance. I get, some people don't like it, but I said, my Mars is in Leo. I love, love, love romance. Okay. <laughs> but what? I just love this because we've been talking a little bit about sex, getting a better understanding of, of love, but it's kind of like, what does he mean by romance? The emotion of romance is added to those of sex, love and sex, and the obstructions between. So that now you're separating 
what makes you a finite person, now you've crossed over into becoming one with infinite intelligence. Romance, you guys. Romance is important. Mm. I'm going to underline this because, baby, let me tell you. I'm going to circle the word romance. Y'all, y'all going to have a Mr. Divine masculine musings. I, y- y- you're probably going to have one. Check back in like a couple years. Y'all, y'all going to have, and I promise you, he's going to have a, like a deep voice. It would be funny if he doesn't, but um, I could see myself <laughs> explaining this to somebody like, oh my gosh, this is funny. So it says, then a genius has been born. So when emotion of romance is added to those of love and sex, the obstructions between the finite mind of man and infinite intelligence are removed. Then a genius has been born. Yo. That whole part right there. Mm. What a different story this is than those usually associated with the emotion of sex. Here is an interpretation of the emotion which lifts it out of the commonplace and makes of its potter's clay in the hands of God, which he fashions all that is beautiful and inspiring. It is an interpretation which would, when properly understood, brings harmony out of chaos which exists in too many marriages. The disharmonies often expressed in the form of nagging may usually be traced to lack of knowledge on the subject of sex. What? He said if you're nagging, then you don't understand the knowledge of sex? What? (laughs) Where love, romance, and proper understanding of the emotion and function of sex abide there is no disharmony between married people, right? And I think that when you talk, listen to a lot about the conversations about men wanting to just like hit it and quit it, pump and dump, smash and dash, who's paying for what? 50-50, I want, you know, if I pay for your meal, I need to be able to clap those cheeks, right? Where's the romance in that? Right? Where are the days when they used to just buy you flowers or walk along a beach or dance to music and enjoy each other's companionship? Right? Because the emotion of romance added to love and sex brings you closer to infinite intelligence. And that is when a genius is born. And he says, and where love, romance, and proper understanding of the emotion of function of sex abide, there's no disharmony between married people. These are the things that you need. Hmm. Fortunate is the husband whose wife understands the true relationship between the emotions of love, sex, and romance. I would say fortunate is the wife whose husband understands the true relationship between emotions of love, sex, and romance. But he's talking from a man's perspective, right? So I can't be mad at that. But I can tell you as a woman, if you were to flip that role, if, uh, you know, my future husband would be someone who understands the true relationship between emotions of love, sex, and romance. When motivated by this holy 
triumvirate. It's a sexy word, but I don't know what it means. By this holy triumvirate, no form of labor is burdensome because even the most lowly form of effort takes on the nature of the labor of love. It is a very old saying that a man's wife may either make him or break him, but the reason is not always understood. The making and breaking is the result of the wife's understanding or lack of understanding of the emotions of love, sex, and romance. And I'm going to just from, you know, this is Napoleon Hill sharing it. And again, this chapter is geared towards men. But I think that another thing you can learn from the twin flame journey is that you're mirroring back to each other. So if she's not mirroring that back to you, it's because you don't have it within yourself. Right. So I can tell you from a woman's perspective, I co-sign and I endorse this message in the sense that the making and breaking is the result of a husband's understanding or lack of understanding of the emotions of love, sex and romance. So it says, despite the fact that men are polygamous by the very nature of their biological inheritance, it is true that no woman has as great an influence on a man as his wife. He's given major shout outs to wifey, okay? And I want you to understand as we're getting ready to close out this chapter, right? I have another page and a half. Remember that this cha- this chapter is titled, or this subtitle is, Why Men Succeed Before the Age of 40. And he's giving his accolades to the wife, right? It is true that no woman has as great an influence on a man as his wife. Let me underline this for future Bay. Hus Bay, and Bay is business and enterprises. B A E business and enterprises. Hus Bay. It is true that no woman has as great an influence on man as his wife, unless he is married to a woman totally unsuited to his nature. If a woman permits her husband to lose interest in her, ooh, and become more in. Interested in other women, it is usually because of her ignorance or indifference towards the subjects of sex, love, and romance. And I'm just gonna flip it and reverse it. How you like them apples? Same thing can be said about men. If if a man permits, you know, his wife to lose interest in him and become more interested in other men, it's usually because of his ignorance or indifference toward the subject of love, romance, sex, and romance, whatever. Sex, love, and romance. This statement presupposes, of course, that genuine love existed between a man and his wife. The facts are equally applicable to a man who... There we go. Thank you, Napoleon. I can't even be mad at Napoleon because he had me out here fending for my very feminine life, right? But he went ahead and he, you know, <laughs> he he does here, he does stay here. The facts are equally applicable to a man who permits his wife's interest in him to die. So, boom, there you have it, right? Thank you, Napoleon. (laughs) So it says, um, married people often bicker over a multitude of trivialities. If they are analyzed accurately, the real cause of the trouble will often be found to be indifference or ignorance of these subjects. So he says, man's greatest motivating force is his desire to please women right so here again when you hear these people you know 
evil-minded people, and I'm quoting Napoleon Hill. Um, for those of you who heard when I, I read that sentence, evil-minded. And we look at how in the black community we call men who have a desire or a motivating desire to please their women, they're called simps. But here it is. It says, man's greatest motivating force is his desire to please women. The hunter who excelled during prehistoric days. Come on now. Because we've been talking a little bit about the hunter and the gatherer. Once you start to understand that the man, some people like the term of hunter, fisher, or farmer. So if you're more comfortable with farmer or um, fisher, and you don't necessarily like the idea or imagery that comes with him being a hunter, but in contrast to the woman being the gatherer, here's what he's saying. The hunter who excelled during prehistoric days before the dawn of civilization did so because of his desire to appear great in the eyes of women. Man's nature has not changed in this respect. The hunter of today brings home no skins of wild animals, but he indicates his desire for her favor by supplying fine clothes. Come on, Napoleon Hill. Listen, more women need to read Napoleon Hill. And if you're going to be out here, if, if, right, I'm, I'm aware that there's the other shoe, the other side of things. If, if y'all are going to be opening yourself up to greater love, have these conversations, read these books with your future boo. Your future boo is going to have to understand this, right? But he indicates his desire for her favor by supplying fine clothes, motor cars, and wealth. Men have, has, man has the same desire to please women that he had before the dawn of civilization. The only thing that has changed is his method of pleasing. Men who accumulate large fortunes and attain great heights of power and fame do so mainly to satisfy their desire to please women. Take women out of their lives and great wealth would be useless to most men it is this it is this inherent desire of man to please woman which gives woman the power to make or break a woman i mm, the thought just came to mind but i'm that's a little bit tmi i'm not gonna but oh y'all i'm almost done let's let's go i'm gonna knock this out Two more paragraphs. This is the, the woman who understands man's nature and tactfully caters to it. And that word, I'm going to circle that tactfully caters to it. I want to talk more with my divine feminines about what tactfully catering means. And I want um, divine feminines for us to talk more about what it means to be charming and our role as a muse. I don't think I'm not saying let's jump into a relationship right now, but I would say if you're on the same timeline as me where you're looking at two to three years out, let's cultivate that let's learn how to work with that right so it says the woman who understands man nature and cult tactfully caters to it needs have no fear of competition from other women i know that's right <laughs> men may be giants with indomitable willpower when dealing with other men but they are easily managed by the women of their choice most men will not admit that they are easily influenced by the women they prefer because it is in the nature of the male to want it to be recognized as the stronger of the species. 
Moreover, the intelligent woman recognizes that quote unquote manly traits, right? We've been talking a lot about alpha male, this, that, and the third, whatever, right? But it says that moreover, the intelligent woman recognizes this manly trait and very wisely makes no issue of it. So, you know, it's kind of like he's just saying, let them have it. Let them have the idea of them being giants and dominating and whatever. Let, let them, just let them have it. Intelligent, right? And wise. Moreover, the intelligent woman recognizes that this man, he says this manly trait. So I might be kind of superimposing by saying alpha male. But what he's saying is by this manly trait, it's the type of guy that it likes to be, likes to please women, right? Which would actually be more of like a, what we consider in low vibrational terms in the black community is a simp. But anyways, some men know that they are being influenced by the women of their choice, their wives, sweethearts, mothers, or sisters, but they tactfully refrain from rebelling against the influence because they are intelligent enough to know that no man is happy or complete without the modifying influence of the right woman. So evil-minded people will suppress it and they'll fight it but the same way he talked about the intelligent woman he said some men know that they are being influenced by women of their choice but tactfully refrain from rebelling against the influence because they are intelligent enough to know that no man is happy or complete without the modifying intelligent uh, influence of the right woman the man who does not recognize this important truth. Ooh. <laughs> the man who does not recognize the important truth deprives himself of the power which has done more to help men achieve success than all other forces combined. Y'all, Napoleon Hill just dropped the mic and exited the stage. I'm going to underline here, deprives himself of the power which has done more to help men achieve success than all other forces combined so i'm gonna close out this is telling me i have like four more minutes remembering that this chapter was titled why men seldom succeed we talked about sex we talked about love we talked about romance right <sighs> um did i underline i want to go back and find it because uh, I'll probably go back and read it. But it was talking about how it takes you to the highest heights of of achievement. How it takes you to genius level. Right? How it plays a role. So I really hope that you have been blessed by this. This is almost going to be, what, maybe like two and a half hours? Oops, oops, oops. Did I lose my spot? Yeah, let me put my bookmarker in here. I know that that gave me a lot to think about, a lot of fodder for fire. <laughs> Ooh, look at my old English coming through. Oh, wow, you guys. Um, I really like this book. Like I said, I found it in my parents' living room. And um, there's definitely a lot more gems in here. And so... Hmm... Definitely stay tuned. I will figure out how to name these series. But again, I'm reading from the book, The Prosperity Bible. Um, I don't know where they bought this book. I guess you could find, I guess you could look it up and it would be titled The Prosperity Bible, The Greatest Writings of All Time on the Secrets of Wealth and Prosperity. And then it has in the subtitle, like the authors, which are Napoleon Hill, Benjamin Franklin, James Allen, Wallace D. Waddles. Ernest Holmes, 
Florence Shovelshin and others. And the publisher is Tarshir Penguin. Tarshir Penguin. All right, y'all. I have said a mouthful. I'm going to go drink some more water. I'm going to take a late nap because I, I um, said I was going to take one earlier this morning. But now I'm really past due for a cat nap. And then i um, going to go about my day. Be blessed. This was a powerful one from both my divine feminines and my divine masculines. And even for myself, too. Like, whew, my mind is just blown. That was about five pages from this book. This book has like, let me see how many pages. Uh, a thousand, uh, about a thousand two hundred pages. Uh, a thousand two hundred and sixty pages or so. Five pages can change your life. Okay. That's me getting into, settling into my bed. Be blessed. All right, bye.